0: And welcome to another 28 Days Later. I am your host, Sophie. A quick word before we get into this week's episode. Um, I am having some weird computer difficulties. And so my lovely guests and I are going to record in a different way than usual. So if any of the sound quality is different, that's why. We hope you bear with us, though, because I think this is going to be a really great episode. Um, For those of you who listened last week, you know that for October, I am talking to friends of ours who are identify as ladies but not necessarily as horror fans and last week i was joined by sarah to talk about it follows this week i am joined by my very lovely friend kat kat how are you
1: i'm doing well thanks how are you
0: i am great i have been so looking forward to this all week um, because we're talking about one of my all-time favorite movies but before we get to that why don't you tell me a little bit about your experience with horror films before we watched what we watched for today
1: Absolutely. Um, going back to exactly what you said, I've never really considered myself a horror fan. Um, I got really scared easily as a kid. I remember watching like The Sixth Sense and having nightmares for weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but as an adult, it's been much more interesting to kind of explore that genre. And, um, you know, I'm not kidding anymore. So I don't have as many nightmares. And so it's, it's pretty cool to see, you know, from monsters to slasher films, like how this genre has evolved over the years.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, um, I am really excited because so Kat and I, uh, both used to live in Kansas city. She's in Florida for the moment, but um, I didn't get to ever watch a ton of horror movies with you in person. So I'm excited that this is a new, uh, a new thing you're exploring. Cause I have so many movies that we're going to watch together. And in prepping for this episode, um, one of the movies Kat picked was the birds, but I've not seen it. And I wanted to make sure we were covering stuff that I had seen and could sort of talk about in context, but I was like, okay, we definitely got to watch that together too. Cause that's a hole in my horror knowledge.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for that one. I think it'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that'll be pretty great. Um, so we didn't pick the the birds for this week, or rather I, I suggested we watch something that I've already seen. So Kat, why don't you tell us about what we're watching this week and why you picked it?
1: Sure. Uh, I kind of looked at all the classic horror movies, and one in particular that stood out to me was Scream, the original 1996 version. I honestly didn't really know a whole lot about it. I knew that there had been kind of spoofs, made later on based on this movie. Um, and so I just wanted to, to check it out.
0: Yeah, well, it's really funny because um, you talked earlier about how you didn't really get into horror because you got scared as a kid. Um, people who listen to the show have heard me talk at nauseum about how I am such a wimpy horror fan. And Scream in particular is a movie that I saw part of as a kid and then it like scarred me forever. And I remember how scared I was to watch it the first time that I was like, I'm a horror fan now, I can take it. Um, and it really, it like, it held up, but it's funny because that one scene that freaked me out, which we'll talk about as we go, like is still maybe one of the creepiest scenes in the movie for me. Um, but before we get into our thoughts on the movie, I'm just going to spring this on you, Kat. Can. can you give me a brief plot synopsis of Scream?
1: Um, it's a... Classic slasher movie based in the from based in the nineties, and it basically the opening scene has two teenagers being brutally murdered, and so the rest of the movie we're kind of wondering who the murderer is. You know, there was a murder one year prior, and um, I think one of the biggest things is there's a lot of talk amongst the teenagers themselves about horror movies and about the different um, kind of horror movie tactics that are used. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's interesting to see, you know, characters within a movie talking about a movie um, and kind of already playing out some of those, um, you know, those spoofs of, of, well, I'm not gonna be the girl that runs up the stairs <laughs> mm-hmm. you know right in a movie and then that plays out so that's kind of the basis of the plot without giving it away I'm assuming we're going to be talking more about that but hopefully that covers it
0: that is perfect so I'll just say off the bat that as we go we're definitely going to get into spoiler territory so if you are a person listening to this podcast and somehow you haven't seen scream please seek it out it is such a phenomenal piece of media and just a really fun kind of time capsule of a very particular (laughs) time. Um, So Kat, give me like a one or two sentence overview of what you thought of this movie. And then we'll kind of dive in a little deeper and talk about specifics.
1: Um, I thought it was great. I did not see the ending coming at all, which, you know, that's always what I'm trying to figure out when I'm watching horror movies or thrillers or mysteries of any sort of kind mm-hmm. and um so having that surprise at the end was awesome and then looking back at the movie I'm like oh yeah I guess there were tiny little hints here and there that I just didn't pick up on um and then the whole part about you know talking about horror clichés within the movie itself was was spot on
0: Yeah, it's really fun because I think some, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I think some folks now will talk about Scream and it's sort of, um, as you alluded to, like Scream uses a lot of sort of meta commentary to talk about horror and just pop culture in general in the 90s. And I think that's something we take for granted now because so many other pieces of media, be it TV shows or movies, have sort of picked up on that style of of acknowledging the tropes that they're using or tropes that would be common in similar pieces of media. But at the time that Scream came out, that was relatively new. I'm not saying that Scream was the first movie to ever do it, but I think especially with the level of sort of societal impact, um, Scream made a really big difference in the way that we can sort of talk about media. And what I love so much about Scream is that, like you said, it is pointing out some of the tropes in horror that are silly or kind of played out and it engages in some of those same tropes, but you can tell that it's not done from a cynical, like they're not trying to say we are better than this. They are sort of like acknowledging the stuff about horror that is silly and campy and cheesy and just really loving it. Um, and then sh- like being a part of it in a very knowing way, which I think is really fun.
1: Exactly. I mean, even look at the rules that they mentioned in the movies in the movie that I thought was really interesting, um, you know, talking about how you, you have to be a virgin in order to not get killed. And mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to remember all the movies. You'll not survive if you drink or do drugs or if you say never
0: say I'll be right back. I'll That's like be right one of my back. favorite ones.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um and then I think there were two others, right? Like saying who's there. Um, yeah, it,
0: one is like, don't say who's there or go like investigate a sketchy sound.
1: And we, um, we and everyone
0: is a suspect.
1: Exactly, yes. And that's the thing I loved about this movie in particular is they really explored that last one.
0: <laughs> yeah, they. I'm really glad that the ending um, surprised you because of course, with movies like this and you mentioned The Sixth Sense, movies that have such a big twist at the end they so often get spoiled after they've been out for a while and I think the twist at the end of Scream when we find out who the killers plural are is so cool um and and so I'm glad that wasn't spoiled for you ahead of time and I think Scream is a movie that um I personally hate movies that have a twist at the end that it doesn't make sense. Like if you, you know, you watch a movie where you see the twist at the end and you're like, wait, but if I go back and rewatch this, that twist won't make sense. Right. Um, and that's not the case here. I mean, rewatching it now, it's just so much more sinister. So many interactions seem so much more troubling when you know what's going to happen towards the end of the movie. Um, but it was very funny because, um, well, before I tell you this, I want to hear, like, what did you think of the opening sequence of this movie with, with Drew Barrymore? Because that, like, really shook audiences at the time this movie was being released.
1: Um, I think when it opened, I was kind of like, uh, okay, you know, why would she be talking to just this random guy on the phone? And not that she was giving out personal information. Like, he asked for her name and she was like, why well, don't you know your name? And but... I don't know about you. I I wouldn't just be talking to someone who misdialed me, (laughs) you know, especially if her boyfriend was on his way over and her parents were on their way home. Um, I think that part kind of bothered me a little bit, but then once we got into, okay, she's being stalked, like there's a killer out there. And then we see her boyfriend who's already been, you know, kind of beaten up a bit, already bloody and tied up. It, it starts to get real and I love the um, the metaphor with the popcorn how everything at first is very like subtle and then mm-hmm. you know, once you get deeper into the scene it just becomes a giant mess like shit's on fire <laughs> um, yeah it just gets totally out of control exactly and I thought especially the ending of that scene where you see her parents coming home and she's gasping for air trying to call out to her parents and then while she's being murdered like her parents are going into the house and discovering something's afoot you know I thought that was really well done as far as timing wise and looking Mm -hmm. back now that we know who the killers are I kept trying to think about you know who did which part and I think now we know that there was a motive for this kill.
0: Yeah definitely and sort of to your point I will I'm with you where when she starts talking to him like this was never a thing that I did but like I know so many other folks our age that would just like get on chat rooms and talk to strangers or like people now who will just like start chatting with people on like Instagram or Snapchat that they don't know and it's like I guess I I can imagine in a time when you didn't have those things that you're As accessible that this would be the the alternative but I'm with you where it's just like why are you talking to this guy that you like have no idea who he is but um Mm. it this sequence like really like rocked people because they really advertised that like Drew Barrymore was going to be in this movie um and so to kill her off so quickly when she's like one of the bigger names in the cast like was really shocking to people I think when scene starts to take a turn like she's in danger everyone's expecting it to be like wow what a close call and the rest of the movie is about her um and then she dies in a way that i think was like very um intentional probably to um you have seen psycho yes
1: yes it's been a few years Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so sort of similar to the way that psycho uses that same um, subversion to like kill Janet Lee, the main female character, pretty early in the movie when like we think it's going to be about her. And then she dies like half an hour in and we still have the rest of the runtime and she's gone now. Um, but there were a couple things that I was struck by watching this movie this time, which is that, <laughs> again, this is like one of my all time favorite horror movies, probably. I love the entire Scream franchise. I even love Scream 3, which is. Just a ridiculous movie, but it holds a very special place in my heart. But I had forgotten how just like really dated and low budget the title card is mm-hmm. when it's just like flashing in white letters, like scream. And then every once in a while, red will flash and like people screaming and stuff. It just like it looks <laughs> real. I think like a lot of the movie actually, besides the clothing, mostly ages really well. Like the effects are really good. Um and the, sh- the shots are like framed really beautifully, and that, that opening title card is just so silly. But um, the other thing that really jumped out to me is, as a person who really loves horror, but like you said, I also get scared super easily. Um, it's been a while since I saw a horror movie in theaters, but I-, I didn't notice until this viewing that during that kind of silly title card, as all the screaming dies away there's just a heartbeat that's like speeding up and speeding up and speeding up until Drew Barrymore answers the phone. And that to me, like so mimicked the feeling of sitting in a theater before a horror movie. I always have a moment when the trailers are over and the movie is starting and all of a sudden my heart rate skyrockets. And I'm like, maybe I should leave. This might be too scary. I don't know if I want to be here. (laughs) And so I I can only imagine like seeing this in theaters and having that happen.
1: No kidding. I didn't notice the harpy, but I, I completely understand like having that same feeling, especially in the movie theater when you're surrounded by people in the dark and you don't, you have no idea what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, just ugh, so scary. And that, that scene of Drew Barrymore. I mean, like I said, so much of this movie is paying homage, both to the horror genre generally and to specific movies. And this movie has, this scene has two really great references to Halloween which is of course one of my, probably my all time favorite horror movie. And the first is that when he's asking her trivia questions and asks who the killer is in Halloween, the score, even though it's very quiet, the score starts to mimic the Halloween theme, which I had never noticed until this viewing. That was very cool. And of course the one that's very well known is when her parents get home and like you said, they realize something is wrong. And the dad says to the mom, go down the street to the Mackenzies and call the police. That's what Jamie Lee Curtis says to the kids that she's babysitting after she thinks that she's killed Michael and they've survived his attack. Is She tells them, go down to the McKenzie's house and call the police.
1: I thought it was interesting that one of the main characters also had a tie in with Halloween just based on his name. Mm-hmm. Um, Loomis, uh, Billy Loomis, because he, that was the same name as Dr. Loomis in Halloween, right?
0: Yes, yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So tell me a little bit about what did you think of the characters that we're working with with our sort of like we have our, let's talk about our group of friends, right? We have um, these two girls, Sid, and why can't I remember her friend's name? Why can't I remember Rose McGowan's Tatum. name? Thank you, Tatum. And mm-hmm. then we have Billy, Stu, and Randy. Uh, what do you think of what do you think of these kids?
1: <laughs> uh, they seemed like interesting teenagers. I the <laughs> the lunch scene where Nev Campbell's character said is is asking like how do you even gut someone and then Sue very clearly goes into detail about that. I was like that's mm-hmm. not a typical conversation amongst teenagers. At mm-hmm. least not in my, not in the crowds that I was in at least. Right? <laughs> um, but yeah i I thought it was really interesting to having Randy's character you know he seemed like a very easy target of you know he worked in the movie store, he clearly had a lot of horror movie knowledge um which we knew that the killer does too
0: mm-hmm
1: um but I like that Tatum was kind of the supportive friend um and stew and billy you don't really see a whole lot of interaction between them um you know billy's kind of that dark brooding 90s heartthrob type yeah what a
0: babe like you texted me while you were watching this and like it's so weird because skeet ulrich's hair is wet through this entire movie (laughs) like there's so much gel in his hair that it looks like if you touched it it would just be horrific like just horrifying but he's man he's so hot
1: (laughs) and he does such a great job of like encompassing that you know moody not even quite emo type but um brooding teenager kind of personality um yeah and then Stu matthew lillard is just hilarious and that he's he seems like he's just the class clown and kind of goofing around at all the time um I honestly didn't suspect him at right? all until yeah. later on in the movie and then, then I was like oh yeah I now that I'm thinking back to that lunch scene you know he was very descriptive about how <laughs> to gut uh-huh. someone yeah. and he even said I never killed anyone and Billy had to like catch him and be like no one said you did <laughs>
0: Yeah, like, calm down, Stu. No one's talking about you right now. Exactly, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. We'll definitely, like, get very in detail, I hope, in talking about the, like, reveal at the end with the two of them because it's just, like, so, 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 so good. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, so there's, there's this scene, like I said, that I saw. I never saw this movie growing up, but I remember when it came out, Um, That they used to show it on TV all the time. And my mom, when I was growing up, she worked overnight and sometimes in the summer, she would let us go to work with her. That was like a really exciting thing because she'd be the only one in her like big office area. So we would just kind of go like hang out and we could sit at her desk while she was in the operations bay And just, like, kind of hang out in a big open office space overnight. It was like having a lock-in with, like, a couple of your siblings in a space where there was nothing for kids to do. And um, (laughs) inevitably, we would, like, fall asleep under her desk um, and just eat, like, way too much vending machine candy. But I remember, like, because she went to bed or she went to work in the evening at a time that we were usually asleep, we would try to stay awake until it was time to go to work. And I have a very vivid memory. I actually just realized that Hannah doesn't remember this at all. Um, But we were waiting for my mom to wake up for work. And so we were up past our bedtime. And we were watching TV and flipping through channels. And we turned on. It must have been like TNT or USA. Somebody was showing screen. And it was the scene where Sid is in the bathroom the day after she's gotten attacked by Ghostface and she, and Billy, she had thought Billy was part of it and she, he got sent to the police station, slept there. They just had this very tense run-in in the hallway. But all I saw was the beginning of the bathroom sequence where these two mm. girls are talking about Sid and she's hiding in a stall. And she comes out and she's very distraught and upset and sort of trying to pull herself together and all of a sudden she hears a noise and, and someone say her name and she's getting really panicky and she's trying to figure out if there's anyone else in the bathroom. And while she's sitting there, two feet come down in one of the bathroom stalls mm-hmm. and I immediately panicked and we turned it off, but I'm going to be very honest with you. It was literally until I was probably 18 or 19 that I could go in a public restroom alone and not be scared because like the idea it just is like a thing we take for granted that that's a safe space where you can like obviously you're using the bathroom it's like a weird vulnerable space that's not you're not at home you don't know who else is there but theoretically the idea right is that you would be aware if there were other people in there like you would know if you were not alone and the idea of being in that space and being so vulnerable and thinking that you're alone and then these two feet just like very deliberately and slowly step down the other person sort of makes their presence known that scene scared the absolute shit out of me when i was a kid
1: that totally makes sense i mean this is why girls go to the bathroom in groups right right
0: (laughs) it's definitely not to talk about guys you guys we're just in there in case In case there's a serial killer wearing. Can we talk about Ghostface's outfit? Because I remember when I bought, when I finally bought Scream, I had like rented it so many times and I eventually bought the like 4K um, HD version of it. Mm -hmm. And the first time I watched the version I had purchased, I was like, is Ghostface's robe sparkly? Like it definitely (laughs) is a little bit sparkly. (laughs)
1: ghostface likes a little bit of glitter you know to accompany the blood
0: he has a flair for the dramatic which i appreciate
1: exactly um i i was reading on the trivia that originally ghostface's robe was going to be white yeah and they decided against that just because it looked a little too similar to the kkk which i'm kind of glad that they did because i feel like black is much scarier and more mysterious and they can kind of, you know, hide a little easier in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, interesting. And the face itself is is scary.
0: It's so scary. I, I, I know that you and I both loved, I read the IMDb trivia and one mm-hmm. of the things they talked about is that um, Bob Weinstein hated the mask and just like thought it looked really stupid. I think that mask is... I mean, Hannah and I talk about this on the show a lot where I think we take for granted that maybe it's really easy to like make up a monster or make up a villain. um, But doing something that is simple but is going to be effective and scare people is actually a lot harder than I think people realize. And I feel like Ghostface is such a good example. Like that costume is so horrifying, but it's very simple.
1: It is very simple. And I like that it was kind of, Um, easy for the other kids to get a hold of so that Mm -hmm. you know you didn't know who it was it was even though it was it obviously stood out um, there were so many of them I mean those two kids got suspended because they were running around in the costume so
0: right right and Dewey makes the comment that like you can get this at any five and dime store so we have no way of figuring out who the killer is because like it's around Halloween and these costumes are easily available. Exactly. Um, it's really funny because I don't know if my dad, like he must have seen this when it came out. Um, but like, I don't, I've never talked to him about seeing this movie. So I actually don't know for certain if he's seen it. So dad, when you listen to this, you'll have to text me and tell me if you've watched scream. Um, but I really vividly remember him dressing up as Ghostface for the Halloween after this movie came out. They had a Ghostface costume where the mask was like a white mask with a clear layer over top. And there was a, a tube that ran down your arm with a little squeeze bag. And if you squeezed it, it would like pump blood out all over the mask. Yeah. <laughs> and I That's thought awesome. it was like the scariest thing I had ever seen. Um because, again, like, I knew what Scream was, but I would have been, like, seven years old, so I hadn't seen it. Um, so I, like, have, I just, that that costume, we were like, Dad, why is it so scary? <laughs> <laughs> I hope there was a knife that accompanied it. Oh, there was definitely a big plastic knife. The thing is that, like, Ghostface is a great slasher killer. And and here's, I want to know your thoughts on this. I One of the things I love so much about Scream is that, the killer is allowed to be fully human because in other franchises like Halloween and Jason and Friday, the 13th Jason and Friday, the 13th are the same in Halloween Friday, the 13th and (laughs) nightmare on Elm street, the killers are supernatural. And so, you know, for example, Michael and Jason, they always walk, they never run, but no matter how fast you are, they're always going to catch you. And, they don't really die and they just even if you think you defeated them they're always going to come back for the next movie and I love getting to watch this movie and see people like really hold their own against Ghostface especially because most of the victims that we see murdered are women it's really cool like even the women who do end up dying it's really cool to see them like just like fight with this guy and I love that Ghostface Continues to just like be clumsy and trip and bump into things and get kicked in the balls and just like be a very human bad guy.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And everything you just said makes me think back to the scene in the garage where Tatum goes to get more beer for the party. Mm -hmm. And then she gets cornered and she thinks he's a joke at first. And she's like, Oh, don't kill me, Ghostface. I want to be around for the sequel. You know, Clearly bringing in those those same tropes that we were talking about in the beginning um, and then you see her actually start fighting with him and you know throwing beer at him, and eventually he like flips over her and it was just kind of hilarious you know to to see this character that you're supposed to be afraid of falling around and you know flailing about. Uh-huh. Um, fighting with a woman and i mean eventually he does get the best of her but it does kind of bring a comedic feature to it
0: yeah definitely and they again this is one of those things like with the mask where it i think if you don't think about it it's like of course that's pretty easy but the fact that they're able to have the killer that is that clumsy but is still terrifying like you are laughing at him one second and the next second you're really scared because he can turn the tables that quickly. And that's like a very hard balance to strike. And I think they do it really well for the whole, the runtime of the movie.
1: For sure. I agree.
0: Um, Okay. Next, I have to hear what you think about Gail Weathers. Um, Courtney Cox really wanted to be in this movie because at the time, obviously she was famous for friends and Monica is so nice and lovable that they didn't want to give her this part. And she really didn't want to always be typecast. And so she wanted to play Gail because Gail is this really like rough, kind of bitchy, very not nice person. Um, So what did you think of seeing her in this role, especially with her uh, phenomenal highlights?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, those highlights were amazing. (laughs) But I thought she did very well in this role especially the scene where she's like talking about her new book and she's going to send Sid a copy of it. Like mm-hmm. that was a total bitch move. Um, but I love the play on her name too. Yes. Weathers, and she even makes a joke about it, how she sounds like a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like Courtney Cox did a great job of, you know, really trying to pull out some aggressive, almost like egotistical, Um, bitch characteristics for this character. Definitely, really focusing on what did what was her comment about the uh, how she snuck the camera into the living room and something about tabloids getting the Pulitzer Prize. Like, come on! Oh yeah,
0: (laughs) she. Oh my gosh, she's the best, and she she is a character that like um is just like she has a very specific goal. Her career is super important to her. And Mm -hmm. she's not going to, like, listen, I, there are parts of this movie where I also want to punch Gail Weathers, so I'm not going to act like I think she's great all the time. But I love getting to see a character that's, like, a woman who cares so much about her job that, like, she doesn't care if you don't think she's nice. And she's not going to subscribe to, like, the societal expectation that, like, as a woman she will be super empathetic and put others before herself because she's just like no fuck everybody but me because my job is the most important thing
1: yep and can we talk about that right hook scene like that was oh pretty we awesome
0: <laughs> yes we did and <laughs> tell me tell me about it so what what happened in the just, scene in case anyone's not remembering one of the best scenes in the entire movie
1: uh so this is the scene where courtney cox's character gail weathers is talking with sydney about how, you know, she had done the story on her mother's case last year and the trial um, where Sydney's testimony had put a guy, you know, behind bars. And Gail decided to write a book about the entire case with all of her theories and suspicions. And um, she offers to give Sid a copy of this book that's coming out and Sid just she doesn't even hesitate to like pick up her right fist and nail her to the ground um yeah, she's just I like, was
0: honest, her. it's wild
1: I was kind of surprised like it took me back a little bit I was like I don't know I I wasn't expecting it I was just kind of expecting like some snarky re- remark and then her walking off. So I really appreciated that scene. Cause I was like, yeah, I, I really wanted to punch Gail in that moment
0: too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like, a, this is a movie that is written and directed by men, but I think like does a really good job of all of the female characters we get are like pretty fleshed out and we understand their motivations. I mean, obviously Tatum sort of gets uh, left by the wayside, but but like you said, it's not like the most important thing about her is that she's Stu's girlfriend. The most important thing about her is that she's Sid's best friend, and she's a really loving and supportive best friend. Um, and I just like I really like a movie that it's like all of our female characters are just really competent. I mean, even Casey, even Drew Barrymore, who dies at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, or dies at the beginning. Like, all all of our female characters are shown to be, like, very competent. And it's just that they were not able to overcome this killer. And that's so so refreshing in a genre where so often, especially in the, like, late 70s, early 80s, kind of in the heyday of slasher films, you just had women that were kind of, like, vapid boobs with legs, like, walking around (laughs) just to get murdered. So it was really nice to, like, see a movie where... Like I would want to hang out with Sid or Tatum. And even if I wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with Gail Weathers, like I can respect her drive.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. And Sid definitely put up a great fight um, in all of the encounters with Ghostface. Yeah. You know, like I was, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Like she's thinking the way that like I would potentially think in that type of scenario like okay the door's locked where else am I going to go you know um so I really appreciate your comments about her not just being this vapid woman and actually like putting up a fight and being fully fleshed out as a character so and having that understanding of where some of her you know kind of not only in a sense but Sadness comes from and having to see all the police lights and experience everything again after her mother was murdered, raped, and murdered the year prior. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like that was a really important um, aspect of her character.
0: Yeah, definitely. I would say the only part of Sid's characterization. That doesn't age super well, which, which would be fun to talk about is like, as you might imagine, because Sid lost her mom in this really horrific and tragic way. And it's alluded to that Sidney at a minimum, like walked in on the killer fleeing. So she like found her mother's body and saw the killer flee. um, And the idea that there's this kind of recurring theme where she is still really struggling with what I think is very rightly and in some ways progressively for the mid-90s, really specifically called out as trauma. Like she is suffering from PTSD and I'm glad that they handle it that way. However, later when she finally decides to sleep with Billy and he's trying to apologize to her because he has been less than empathetic about, her her trauma, right? He's kind of like, my mom left, so I understand what it's like. And she's like, that's not the same. Like, your mom is still alive. And, yeah. you know, different, different traumas. Um, so he's trying to apologize to her, and she basically stops him to be like, no, no, no. I need to get myself out of my, like, PTSD selfish, like, self-centeredness. And it's like, Suffering from trauma and trying to take care of yourself is not selfish. Like that's just yeah. that's just like a healthy, good thing for you to do.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it was clear that Billy had a very primary focus on with her. Yeah, for sure. He uh,
0: he just really wanted an R-rated relationship. Um, <laughs> that scene at the beginning where he's like, "I was just watching The Exorcist, and it made me think of you," and she's like, "What?
1: <laughs> like why?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, pretty astonishing. I was like, "That no!"
0: <laughs> what a great pickup line, Billy. This is no wonder you get all the girls. <laughs> Real. <laughs> um, I want to talk about an, a, a part of this movie that like just makes it so wonderfully dated in the mid nineties, which is that a majority of these murders are associated with mysterious phone calls. And the reason that Sid suspects her boyfriend, the man she loves, of being the person who tried to kill her is because she discovers that he has a cellular telephone. And, like, the, this course about the phone, where it's like, why do you have a cellular telephone? Where did you get the cellular telephone? is like <laughs> so funny <laughs> now. <laughs> it is funny because I, I feel like
1: if you don't have a mobile phone now, everyone's like, wait, what? Why don't you?
0: <laughs> right, it, like, what it, kind of Luddite are you that you don't want a cell phone?
1: Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, caller ID wasn't really around at that time either. I think I was reading about how caller ID actually increased um, after this movie had come out in the 90s. And I feel like yeah. that makes a lot of sense, you know, wanting to know, who's on the other line and but yeah the whole cell phone thing was it was pretty funny (laughs)
0: um i just have to interject to say if anyone just heard all those creaking sounds i'm in chicago visiting hannah and she's doing homework right now but she tried to sneak in and scare me uh, and i (laughs) saw her in the mirror but when she tried to leave, the door, like, got stuck and creaked really loud. <laughs> so uh, so Hannah's here in spirit, you guys. That was her creaking the door so that you know she's safe.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. Um, she, she didn't ask you, do you like scary movies?
0: I know, right? Um, <laughs> okay, let's get into the ending of this movie because this movie and the twist, the twist, the reveal at the end about our killers is maybe one of the um, sort of like most iconic parts of a movie that just has a ton of very iconic um, uh, elements. So you, you had sort of talked about not suspecting the twist at the end, which of course is that there is more than one killer, Billy and Stu have been in this together and they also killed Sydney's mm-hmm. mom. Um, so what was that reveal like for you? Because the whole movie, even though Billy's problematic, you're kind of like, I wish he was my boyfriend. And then all of a sudden you don't.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was very surprising. But as soon as I, you know, kind of figured it out, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense that there would be two people because, you know, throughout the entire movie, you're trying to, you know, everyone's a suspect. You're mm-hmm. kind of running through... Their actions and their speech to see, you know, do I believe this person could be a killer? I don't know. And the fact that there are two, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. There's different motives. There's partners, you know, one was either in one place with everyone or was suspected of another. Like the whole scene with Nev Campbell being at home and the killer coming in or hiding in the closet and then coming after her. And then just a few seconds later, Billy happens to crawl through her window. Mm -hmm. You know, logically thinking about that, he would have had to like run super fast, change costumes, like climb up the window. Like there was so many different pieces that he would have had to do to get to that point. Um, And so it makes more sense to have Stu being the one hiding in the house while maybe Billy had called her. Um, And so I guess once you find out that the two are the killers, you can start piecing all those different scenes together. Like, okay, that makes more sense. Um, But yeah, it was very surprising. You know, we didn't hear from her dad. He was supposed to be going on a business trip and then no one could get in touch with him. Mm -hmm. So he was a big suspect, especially once we found his car and then, um, I felt like Randy was too easy of a suspect. Yeah. He,
0: uh, man, I love Randy. <laughs> I love him yeah, so much. Pretty
1: great. And I thought it was funny that he actually identified both killers throughout the movie. hmm Yeah. Um, he nailed it with the lunch scene and identifying Stu. And then also in the, basically the blockbuster equivalent um, movie store of calling out, Billy standing around the horror genre
0: yeah yeah um yeah I I love this twist and folks um sort of the 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 realization that Billy and Stu are committing these murders together and especially the way that that sort of climactic scene is is staged and acted has led to sort of write about and ship billy and Stu, which like which i love i sort of love the idea because it really does feel i think like billy is the motivating factor behind all of this and Stu just like wants to do whatever will make billy happy um yeah I think
1: that makes a lot of sense
0: yeah and it's just like oh the um our dear friend valeska very close friend of the podcast um She has a a magazine called Grimm and there have been pieces featured in Grimm about uh, Billy and Stu and and, and kind of all over the place sort of shipping them as like a a kind of great, super problematic, but great uh, queer relationship in horror. One of my favorite things, um, because like I love this movie and I love so many aspects of it, but I think the thing that I maybe love the most is Matthew Lillard's performance and I think that his performance especially in the end it's just once we realize that he's one of the killers that his performance becomes like so unhinged but it remains very like immature and childlike (laughs) Um, and that scene so I watched this the other day um, and my partner came home while I was finishing it and (laughs) It was right at the reveal. And of course, like Jeremy's seen this movie, so he knows, but like the reveals happening. And when, when Sid says she called the cops, I just scream at Jeremy, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. And Jeremy was like, oh my God. But that's like one of my favorite parts of the movie because it's such a great, like as this movie goes on, we will get different ghost faces with different motivations and none of them, will ever live up to Stu and billy and especially in that moment where it's like these you have just learned that these two ostensibly been called to like appreciate and care about and and connect to have been the bad guys the whole time and you don't know how to feel because all of a sudden they're being so cold and and unempathetic and in that moment it was just like you're realizing like oh he's still just like a dumb kid who doesn't understand the consequences of what he's been doing this entire time it's
1: like okay murdering people's okay but you're more afraid of getting caught by the cops and then having your parents get mad at you
0: (laughs) right right oh my gosh
1: be an issue with his values there but (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I love it so much my mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me also when he's like oh I think I'm dying man I think you went too deep like it's <laughs> just like Billy stays so composed and if he loses his composure he gets angry and like Stu like you just want to hug him even though he's been murdering people and you're so mad at him you're just like oh poor Stu you're just having a real hard time right now <laughs>
1: you know i I do think it's funny that they were like let's stab each other first before we kill (laughs) right and the girlfriend i i keep trying to understand that i'm like why why wouldn't you just kill them first and then stab each other
0: right like right before you call the cops
1: right (laughs) (laughs) uh that was awesome
0: Oh, man, it's so it's just so great. Um, I have like other notes that are all super nerdy references. Like one of the things that I love about this movie is um, the sound effects that all the doors make when doors are like opening and closing and specifically when Ghostface is attacking Sydney in her home and she's like blocked her bedroom door closed with the closet door. All of the door sound effects are so comically loud like the Foley artist really just had a field day. And I have to imagine like, it feels very intentional because it all just sounds like old Hollywood or like very cartoony. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, if I may take a moment to say that when they're watching Halloween and Randy is explaining the movie to them and telling them all the rules and they like the one guy is like, Oh man, the blood is all wrong. It's too red. Um, There isn't any blood in that scene of Halloween that they're watching. Like, famously halloween has very little blood in it the only blood you see is like the first kill in the very opening scene and then on a body in the first act and then like you don't really see blood for the rest of the movie so i was like well there's, uh, technically there's not any blood in that scene of halloween actually so um uh <laughs> just like push my imaginary glasses up my nose here
1: mm-hmm. that was a great horror nerd moment of yours really uh, just- I, I i love
0: that movie <laughs> <sighs>
1: also, and can honestly we- this oh go ahead no go ahead
0: I was just gonna say like this story has probably been told on this podcast before um but maybe it hasn't and uh Kat was with me when uh we went to a haunted house that had a Halloween room and I got so scared that i shoved my partner into michael myers to protect myself in like a moment of fight or flight
1: <laughs> i remember that that was really funny um i also remember like i i think i was walking first through the doorway and michael myers just kind of like stood in front of me and i was like excuse me
0: yeah you're, just, <laughs> like, you're my wife and i was like i don't there." <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, that was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, that was a lot of fun. Um, that reminded me. Oh, that reminded me of that you saw this on the IMDb trivia. But like, again, I can't overstate that. I just like I love Randy as a character. I think there are conversations that are worth having about his him being a little problematic as he relates to Sydney, and like he really wants to date her, and kind of feels entitled to date her, and also like wants to try to get a shot with her right after. She got uh, attacked by Ghostface and her boyfriend spent the night in prison. Like, he's there's some toxic masculinity, like, friend zone BS there that we don't, that's I'm not condoning. Um, but I do love Randy. And I think Jamie Kennedy's performance is so great as Randy. And that scene where he's drunk watching Halloween alone and he's like, oh, Jamie, watch out. The killer's right behind you. Jamie, look, <laughs> he's right there is like such a great met a moment where like an actor named Jamie playing a character named Randy is talking to another actor named Jamie playing a character named Lori, where they are living parallel experiences of being like right in the clutches of a killer and he doesn't know. That that scene is just absolutely gold. I love it so much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of irony in this movie, which I really appreciate. <laughs>
0: Well, here's what I want to know. So now that you've watched this movie, there are four Scream movies. And mm-hmm. I believe that they are currently in production on a fifth one, although I am not certain that that's accurate. Um, are you, like, did you like this enough that you want to watch other Scream movies? Definitely. Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh, that I'm, fills me with joy. I've been into the uh, slasher movies lately. Um, you know, before Scream, I watched Your Next which is another great slasher movie.
0: Oh, um, what a good time! What a great movie! Yeah.
1: So I would definitely like to to see more, especially if Nev Campbell kicking Ghostface's ass like that was just awesome.
0: Hell yeah! <laughs> and she is in all four Scream films, so you can just get like all the Nev Campbell you could ever want, and she continues to be really badass and spectacular. Um. Gail Weathers and Dewey and Sydney are in all of the Scream movies. Awesome. Um, Which is pretty great. Although um, the one thing I will say that makes me really bummed out as a person who loves these franchises is obviously Courtney Cox and David Arquette were married and they met on the scene of Scream 1. And that's how they got together. And then they got married. And so like as you watch the movies... They are, like, two people who are a couple in TV, but they're also a couple in real life, and it's very cute. And then, um, apparently, their marriage, like, completely fell apart during Scream 4, and they got divorced either during or right after Scream 4 finished shooting. So, like, mm-hmm. watching Scream 4 is really sad. Because <laughs> you're just like, no, you guys were so great.
1: Yeah, I thought that they were really cute in this movie. You could definitely tell that there was some chemistry. Yeah. Oh,
0: man, it only gets better, and in Scream two it's okay we'll have to watch the rest of these together but scream two uh I think is the one where Gail has remember in like the late 90s early 2000s where people thought it was a good idea to have bangs that were like a half an inch long
1: oh gosh yes (laughs)
0: yeah Gail Gail has those I think in scream two and it's just like oh no what did they do to your face (laughs) it's so bad
1: (laughs) there's so many bad like pop hair and clothing trends from that time period like you know looking back this movie wasn't too bad you know in in representing those except maybe Gail Weathers highlights but I'm just glad there weren't any like all jean outfits or (laughs) (laughs) you know weird um hip hugger jeans that where you could see songs hanging out and stuff yeah yeah, I don't miss those.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. So here's what I'll ask you: Did you have, was there an outfit or like a style choice from this movie that stuck out to you as like particularly good, um, or like a thing that really just like struck you? And that might be an unfair question because again, I've seen this movie a lot, so I think I have like most of the outfits memorized.
1: The only thing that really stands out to me is Gail's like green, bright neon green like coat is that she <laughs> wears. Yes. Um, but yeah I feel like that goes along well with her character it kind of reminds me a bit of like a reader Skeeter Skeeter Skeeter-esque from the Harry Potter Yes,
0: yeah it's very like power suit and uh, Gail wears some really phenomenal uh, suit sets in in these movies Um, one of my favorites is when Tatum has the because it just feels so 90s is like when Tatum has the cut off crop top with the like jersey style numbers on the front and the red sweatpants. And then, obviously, the thing that always gets me because again, Skeet Ulrich is super attractive, and honestly, Matthew Lillard in this movie also can get it. So, like, their outfits at the end when we find out they're the killers, where like Skeet Ulrich is wearing that like ribbed white t shirt. Mm-hmm. um i really like that those should i know ribbed stuff has come back around for women i'd love to see more men in in ribbed shirts i think they're like great make all shirts ribbed for her pleasure and um <laughs> and like matthew lillard's like big baggy beige sweater is also just like i just want those like big sweater arms to hug me and i would like him to not be a serial killer right <laughs> you know that's what i want it's not that much to ask <laughs>
1: Not at all. Well, I'm <laughs> interested to see like what the plot lines are for Scream Two, Three, and Four, since we know that the two primary killers are officially dead in this movie. I mean, Nev Campbell made sure of that.
0: Yeah, the yeah. I mean, Billy is so very dead in this movie. <laughs> um, it's fun. The 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 um, plots of all those movies get like more and more weird but I personally think that they all work which is cool and um Scream 4 especially which came out in 2011 like really gets um even more meta like in ways that I don't want to spoil but it just like Scream 4 sort of like S- says okay well all the previous scream movies were super meta so now we're gonna do that from like the nth degree we're gonna go like one more degree removed and outside which is just like really satisfying to watch um so we should definitely watch more of these they're very fun and mm-hmm. our and our friend our our mutual friend sarah not sarah that was with me on the podcast last week but sarah who will be on the podcast with me next week um <laughs> she's only screen seen scream one and three So we really need to fill out both of your Scream um, oeuvres so that you've been exposed to all of it. Absolutely. Um, So and don't worry, they I think all of them or most of them have nice, attractive men. Jerry O'Connell is in Scream, too, um, as like a young college student, as well as like uh, Timothy Oliphant and Joshua Jackson.
1: Oh, Joshua Absolutely. Jackson. I know we've obviously. talked about
0: him. <laughs> My all-time favorite. It's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so I could talk about this movie forever, Cat. But obviously, here on the podcast, Hannah and I have a incredibly technical uh, five-point rating scale where we give a film one out of five Bloody Marys, and you can add any kind of like sides or additions to the Bloody Mary that you'd like. So, how many Bloody Marys out of five would you give Scream?
1: I feel like the surprise ending really got to me and I love the, um, the inside like spoofs of horror movies. I feel like this deserves a four out of five.
0: Hell yeah. Now I'm going to do what Hannah will mock me for and get, because I'm too nice. But again, this movie for me is really like an all time favorite. It has really informed a lot of my, um, feelings as a, as a horror fan. And especially because um, listeners of this podcast may know being a lady horror fan can be a really alienating experience. And Scream is a movie that was ahead of its time, I think in giving us just like really badass uh, women who would fight the bad guys and be competent. So I'm going to give Scream a five out of five Bloody Marys because oh, I just love it so much. I could watch it every day and never get sick of it.
1: I like that reason. Um, There needs to be more women in power in movies. And I feel like the Hollywood industry is definitely starting to open up to that more.
0: Yeah, people are figuring out that it turns out women also watch movies. And we love to see movies where we can actually see ourselves. That's like a thing that representation is important. (laughs) It is. Yes, so many levels. Yeah. So um, our in late news this week is actually not specifically a piece of news uh, in that the thing I'm talking about, the person I'm talking about has passed away and she passed away a couple of years ago. But I recently learned about an amazing woman that I think many of you may have never heard of. And so if you've never heard of her, I want to just uh, give you this very brief primer on her life and tell you to go seek out information about her. So. This woman's name was uh, Dovey Johnson Roundtree. She was a Black woman born into the Jim Crow South. And in her lifetime, she was in the military. She was also a reverend in the, the in the Christian church. And she became a defense attorney and specifically did criminal defense work. Um, she very famously defended a Black man named Raymond Crump in the 60s who was... Um, Uh, sorry, charged of the murder of a white woman in Washington, D.C. with very, very little evidence. Um, And she was able to um, have him acquitted of that crime, which again, like in the 60s, you weren't seeing um, a lot of defense attorneys that weren't white men. And here she was, this just like really smart, dedicated um, black woman who cared a lot about the folks that she worked with and represented. Um, I have been... Uh, reading about several um, Black people in particular that like we just never learn about who had really amazing and impactful um, lives. And so I finished listening to a podcast called Murder on the Towpath," which is only available on Luminary, um, where they talk about the case that Dovey Johnson Roundtree was the defense attorney in. And I just was absolutely blown away that I had never heard of her. So If you don't know about Debbie Johnson Roundtree, I will post her obituary. She died in 2018 at the age of 104. um, And her obituary in the New York Times really kind of lays out her entire life and what an amazing and impactful human being she was. So please go read that if you don't know about her um, and tell people about her because we don't learn enough about the history of women and especially women that are not white who have really kind of shaped society. And like we just said, representation is important. So, so go check that out. Um, Okay, Kat. So what we do here at the end is uh, we are going to try without seeing each other to clink our imaginary glasses at the same time. Are you ready? I'm ready. So I'm going to say my little closing line and then we'll clink. So everyone always pee after sex (laughs) (laughs) clink clink (laughs) perfect
1: and remember